Thank you for listening to the Old English D podcast. New episodes are live every Tuesday, so make sure to subscribe and follow to keep up to date on all the new episodes. And as we always say, go Tigers. is up everyone welcome to the old english d a detroit tigers podcast i'm one of your hosts casey as always joined by josh how are we doing this week my friend first full week in good old michigan just got back from vacation how we feeling we're feeling pretty good it's nice to you know have a really good idea of where you're going at all times and not have to throw on the gps all the time that's kind of fun you did see parts of indiana you never thought you'd see is that correct and, you know, hopefully never see again. Wow. Not a reigning endorsement of, of our friends down in Indiana. Well, hopefully this current situation is more of a long-term life situation. Don't don't want to be moving all the time. Now that we've moved a little bit, I think uh, I could confidently say you don't want to move any more boxes for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pass for a little bit. Um, I uh, mm-hmm. still have to get you that chiropractor bill for... <laughs> For that visit, um, thank you very much on that one. Um, first couple days at work, how, how are everything's going? You settling in? Yeah, settling in. Lot to learn, high learning curve, but you know, if it was uh, if it was easy, it wouldn't be worth doing, right? Oh, I think they picked the right man for the job. I think you got this. I, I think you got this. Um, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Um, we are uh, recording a little bit late this week. We had some scheduling conflicts and whatnot, but we're here. We're we are we are working our way through uh, new schedules and whatever. So bear with us a little bit. But yes, of course, this is the old English D where you can hear all your Tigers news and review of the games in progress and also the games that have come the week before. And then also follow us on our socials, the same same name and uh, all the socials. Get us on all the podcast services to your liking. And uh, yeah, give us a follow. We'd really appreciate it. Typically post on Tuesdays. So Josh, we have a little bit of a traffic jam if you will of of games to talk about so uh i think we kind of go in chronological order here and uh, go back to the minnesota series it kind of feels like uh, a year ago at this point when we split the series against minnesota but um saw some ups and downs like we typically do um after tonight's game against the cubs which we now have split that series so far final game tomorrow but we're 58 and 68 uh, eight games back, but if we rewind back to the Minnesota series, we uh, we felt like we had a little bit of a chance to make some inroads after that long series against Minnesota, and then now a, a short series in Minnesota, two game set. What do you see out of our boys in Minnesota? You know, it really felt like they were. Uh, it, it it's so frustrating because this team is so off and on, and either they're playing the way we know they can play or we're we're very very dead we're very uh it just doesn't feel right you can definitely tell the energy between wins and losses in the fact that i don't think i can remember saying in many cases this year wow we played very good and we should have won that game 
like the games we lose, we felt like we should have lost. And the games we've won, I feel like for the most part, we felt like we should win. Which is kind of odd to say, but it really felt like we could have won the first game of that Minnesota series, but the bullpen kind of fell apart. It definitely shouldn't have uh, shouldn't have won that one. And then in game two, the, the bats came to play, and, you know, the guys brought out the power, and we got a win out of the series. So uh, the AL Central this year is going to be historically bad. It, like, all-time one of the worst divisions in baseball. And it's going to spur on some conversations, I think, about, you know, the restructuring that we've been rumored about, you know, he- hearing about for the last few years, ever since COVID. And it's... It, you know, it does raise some questions, but all of that to be said for the Tigers to still be within, you know, shouting distance of first place in a division at this point is pretty incredible, even though we are just 10 games under 500. Yeah, I would say with uh, the possible or the possibility of, of restructuring, it would suck for this team that feels like they're kind of on the on the cusp of something good. If we brought in a heavy hitter, maybe from the East or from the West, and then, you know, switched them out for, you know, a mediocre team like the Royals or the White Sox, whatever, it would definitely uh, squander a lot of opportunity for this team because it feels like right now everything has to go our way for for things to, to pick up. And not to say that we can't make some, you know, transactions and some moves that obviously make us better for next year, but I don't think that we're going to overnight become a 90 win baseball team, you know, and if we bring in another team that's really, really good, um, it it would be tough to tough to envision the the Tigers sticking around. But for now, it's a lot of fun because, you know, at least we can at least say that maybe second place is in play when people thought that we were cellar dwellers. Um, Miggy homered in the first game. I would say that's the biggest the biggest thing from that Minnesota um, game one where he turned back the clock. I think he hit it like 430 or something, and that, that was fun to watch. Um, Ridiculous. Torque has been on a tear uh, even since before this series, but really picked up, and, and now he's, I think, homered in, in 13 um, games. He has like eight homers, and so that that's a great really good uptick in power for him and so in this minnesota series he homered in both games and like you mentioned the bullpen i think cisnero was was really the catalyst for for a lot of the issues he didn't even get like an inning pitched uh, worth of credit that game and he he got shell-shocked by the twins and it really looked shaky um and then game two uh like you mentioned yeah homers galore and it just seems like that's kind of our ticket to success right now is the long ball which if you looked at the first half of the year, you would have never expected. We were not on the pace like we were in 2022. We weren't definitely the worst team. or You know, we aren't the worst team in home runs like we were in 2022. Um, but now it seems like second half of 2023, we have a chance to not be even in the lower third of, of home runs in the MLB. And so from a Tigers team that really had nothing to say about it for a year, and home runs were were a prayer and a wish away. Um, it, it's cool to see that the long ball is actually ha- you know helping out. I, I wonder how much the dimensions in Comerica play a role. I don't think they are as much as you would think, only because we're actually a losing record in Comerica and we play a lot better at, at away. Uh, ironically enough, and so I, I don't know. I think it still will take a couple years to to really average out what the difference between new Comerica and old Comerica is. But it, there's a lot of factors at play: better players, 
possibly new dimensions, and then also to just better plate approaches. And I think that's the key, and that's kind of that Scott Harris catalyst difference. Um, Foley did have a little bit of shaky save. We're kind of going through that weird mix-and-match bullpen save situation situation. Um, and unfortunately, it can lead to some exposure from other people. Like like when Green gets hurt and then Torque has to step up and he doesn't have a great month. Um, you know, it can do the same thing when Lang is struggling and not throwing strikes consistently. It can expose some other players in the bullpen and fully gave up his first two home runs since what, like June or July. And so that, that was a little scary to see. And since then Lang has seemed to stabilize a little bit, got the save tonight, which I'm sure we'll kind of talk about as we go along. But it was a good breather to to at least split the series in Minnesota. You're not you're not always looking to to win series away from away from Comerica Park all the time. Even though again we play a little bit better away from away from Comerica Park this year. But overall, a much needed split for for Minnesota. Then we fast forward to Cleveland, and this is the series where positivity was as easy to come by as anything after after that series we took three of four and really it was just because of a double header unfortunate situation where we got ourselves in a little bit of trouble but that series was easily sweepable in cleveland and it looked like we were doing everything right timely pitching clutch bullpen and then some some again timely hitting that really led to some solid wins I, I don't think there was anything amazing about the entirety of the series again more torque home runs Kerry Carpenter stepped up a couple different times it was really just all around good baseball what do you see out of Cleveland out of the Cleveland series yeah it was a lot of fun to watch this team play good baseball and that's something that I can't say that we've done a lot and like I was saying before it's just very difficult to to point to one thing to how we were playing so well we were just winning games that we were supposed to win and that's something that's that's very new to this team in the last few years but more than all of that is just it seems like I was talking before just the attitude of this team in games where they win it's so positive they have this game plan going in on the hitting side. They look like they're synced up on the pitching side. Jake Rogers has really just taken this this role of, you know, lead catcher by the throat. And I know we picked up Carson Kelly and we'll get into that in, in just a little bit. But he's really kind of taken this, you know, by the neck and just ran with it. And that's super good to see as a guy that we had kind of written off as a kind of a you know, kind of a throwaway part of that Justin Verlander trade that was never going to pan out. And to see them do that against uh, this this team that, you know, we've really struggled with for the last... Forever, man, it feels it, like. It, it we, really we struggled like we haven't forever. had... If after we beat up on the Indians slash Guardians for, it seemed like, 10 or so years... Uh, it's really shown up in the in the in the last two years where they've take they've gotten the best of us. And something that I thought was super interesting too was the Tigers have now clinched a winning record against three out of our four 
AL Central opponents this year. The Royals were seven and three against. The Guardians we are seven and three against. And the Twins we are eight and five. Yeah, eight and five against. So that's something we talked about at the beginning of the year where we said they really had to um, improve on this year, especially with how we thought that the uh, AL Center wasn't going to be the greatest, and it really isn't. Uh, we really had to win, like I said, the games that we should be winning. And if this Tigers team wants to claim that it is a good baseball team anytime in the future, you have to beat the teams that are good, or that are in your division, and that are beatable. And they went out and did that. And, you know, we've got some more games against Chicago coming up uh, against the White Sox, who, sidebar, are in rough shambles. Right. They just fired their GM and their, uh, who was the other guy that they fired? I don't uh, even know. VP of VP, player gotcha. something. Jeez. I, yeah. I, I never thought I'd see a move. Like Rick Hahn seemed like a, a staple there for a while. I thought, if anything, they'd get rid of that new manager. But, yeah, who knows? Well, I mean, new, new, uh, Upper management can sometimes trump kind of things down. New author, new uh, yeah. Get bring their own manager in. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This isn't a White Sox podcast. We don't. We don't. Thank God. We we'd be we'd be even more down in the doldrums if, yeah. if it <laughs> if it wasn't for that. Yeah, but yeah, I feel no, like no. We would be very much more depressed at this point, which yeah. would be impressive. But well, I'm, hey, I'm I'm not depressed. We we just came off a Cubs victory. I'm 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 here. I'm I'm for it. And you know, did we won a game where Candelario homered. So there you go. That's that's a positive. Um, and not what, in the way you think. What you said about the central. Um, I saw somewhere. I think it was John Paul Morosi, but if it's not, please forgive me. But someone tweeted out that we are one of like seven teams who are uh, 10 games above 500 against their own division, and we're the only one that's below 500 in their overall record. And it's like, that is the most Detroit Tigers 2020 to, and really, I mean, going back farther, maybe 2017 to, to 2023 stat ever, where it's like, you're kind of good. You're good when you need to be, but then awful when you don't need to be. And it's like, all right, well, you know, hey, at least we have something to hang our hat on. But it does feel like we're getting some national recognition. I, I really feel like after that, that uh, Cleveland series, like I saw a couple tweets about making fun of the fact that uh, somehow, some way, we have more of a postseason chance, even though it's 1%, we have more of a postseason chance than the Yankees and the Angels. And it's like, you know, this is nice. This is nice. We're getting some national recognition. Uh, we have no prayer to really make anything happen in the postseason, even if we did somehow make it. But at least we're staying alive and we're holding our own. And we're, we're playing some competitive baseball. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, while we're in a very transitional heavy period in, in the Tigers um, organization overall and the timeline of the Tigers, I think that this turnaround is going to be quicker. It really, it really is. And, and I, I think while we fully believe in Scott Harris and, and what he's doing, I, I think that it, it is tough to trust because of all of the really bad baggage that, that that comes with the last five years six years of tigers baseball and so you know if we're, if we're slow to believe or, or want to see a lot of key important things pan out you know that that's why and so you know it's 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 encouraging to to see a series like cleveland in cleveland go the way it did because we really figured them out over the last two years like like you had mentioned right i mean jose ramirez i think was 
I know he struck out a bunch of times, but also I think he only got on base like three or four times. And that's Jose Ramirez we're talking about, the the most important bat to neutralize in the Cleveland lineup. And so when you start figuring out players like that who have been just menaces to Detroit forever, we're, we're really taking strides in the right direction. Um, with what you mentioned too, we're also dropping guys that are not playing a key role anymore. And uh, for everything that's worth and everything that he did for Detroit, Eric Haas is gone. And it was so sad to see him go. I think the the Tigers did it as, uh, as best as they could with the situation. He's had a very tough year. And as you mentioned, we, we picked up Carson Kelly and we took advantage of maybe someone who's kind of been left out in the rough by other organizations in this specific time, the, the Diamondbacks. He's had some injury concerns, and he's still only 29. Um, but it was it was as sad to see Eric Haas go as it was exciting to to maybe get some new blood in. But uh, from Eric Haas's tenure as a as a Tiger, what will you remember most? I mean, there's a lot of things that it's for a lot of Tigers fans. Uh, it's going to be tough to remember. Because it's been so long. Um, if I remember correctly, he was one of the one of those guys that it really felt made this team exciting uh, back in 2021 when he kind of had that breakout. Um, but probably for me personally, I think it was him hitting the double off the wall in that game we attended against the White Sox and uh, Rodon was pitching. Oh yeah, good one. His no up the, that's a great one. That's oh yeah, that's fantastic. I forgot that was even Hasi. Good pull. Nice. Um I I would say and it's not even necessarily just specific for me, but I I would just say just him being the hometown hero. You know, like when he was able to write that script for himself for as long as he did, um being from Detroit Coming from that, you know, environment, that culture, um, you know, don't count me out kind of attitude and, and loving the Red Wings, loving the Tigers all, all his life and then becoming a Tiger like that's so cool. And and really, I mean, we were the organization that gave him really a second shot because the Guardians and then Indians organization was who drafted him. And so, you know, being able to make it and actually have a chance with a team that really needed a, a, a primary catcher at first. And then, you know, he solidified himself into the backup catcher role. But he took us by surprise. I mean, for a trade that went down for cash considerations. I mean, he could have been traded for, you know, a 12-pack of Gatorade for all we know. We know it was probably more than that. It was probably a couple million dollars or whatever, or maybe $100,000 or whatever. But it was not a big sacrifice for us to bring him into the organization. And then to turn into what he did, I would say, again, that's a win. And then that could be a win for, you know, at the major league level player development. And yes, this year did not go well and it sucks because it, it really taints a lot of the memories. Same thing with scope, right? You know, I, I think, um, unfortunately they, they have decided as an organization that, and you know, I don't know if unfortunately is the word for it, but at this point they've realized, Hey, we have kids that can make something happen. Um, and, and we want to see what we have in this organization and we don't really have time to, to sit on these guys that are not providing a good level of at bats and a, and a clutch level of, of defense when we need it. And it, it was, it was really 
awful to see this year because it really was the defense that did, or sorry, the, the offense that did Haas in. His defense was super, super good this year. Uh, not on par with, with Jake Rogers, but he made a lot of progress this year. And I mean, I know you hate it and we talked about it a little bit off air, but I mean, the Tigers won more games technically with Haas and you can make an argument that it was because, you know, different pitching clientele at, at any given time, but technically they won more games with him behind the plate. And his pitch framing and his pitch blocking and an overall better defense behind the plate was was much welcomed because he worked super hard on it. So it was sad to see him go. We had called for it uh, probably about a month back at this point. So I can't say I was surprised. I think it was just the timing of it that was most surprising. And then also the move that they made to... <laughs> to make up for him and, and to replace him on the roster. I think that is something that was super unexpected because we thought that we had some possible players down in, in AAA and maybe even AA that could make make a sneak appearance to the majors, but they, they really don't feel confident in the Dylan Dinglers and the Donnie Sands of the world just yet to, to make a positive impact at the major league level. Um, so it shows their, you know, their hesitancy and then also just their willing to to wait in their patience with with some of those kids and that's okay so um sounds like Carson Kelly could be around for a little bit the team signed him to a major league contract and not only that but he also has an option major or a, a club option not a personal option but a club option for 2024 so um he's played a game now have you saw anything uh, specific from his first game behind the plate uh not really I I think he's only played in. Is he played in two games? Am I getting that right? Or is it no, just ju- just the one, just the one. But yeah, I he'll probably play tomorrow in the in the day game. They didn't have he he didn't have the greatest of games from an offensive standpoint. But yet again, I don't think that's really what we brought him in to do necessarily. Uh, we were looking a little bit at his uh, defensive stats from his career. It looks like all in all, he's a touch better defensively than Haas was. Uh, doing some different things better than Haas did and doing some things a little bit worse than Haas did. Um, it's, it's so difficult. I struggle so much with understanding a lot of the defensive stats when it comes to baseball. It's very difficult to kind of decipher in my head. But you look at a a grouping of stats on, uh, I believe it's Fielding Bible, that does a lot of the stats for uh, defenses. Um, When it comes to these different categories, uh, like stolen bases, he has negative four uh, runs saved, I believe is the is the stat as opposed to and I compare him to Haas because kind of you know that's the corresponding move that's who they replaced him with um compared to Haas who had one uh run saved uh he wasn't the greatest at fielding bunts Haas was at a zero he uh, Carson Kelly's at a negative one um when it comes to strike zone I think that's the thing that you can look at very clearly to see kind of where this team is at when it comes to our catchers. Jake Rogers, for example, has four uh, runs saved um, when it comes to catching defense. Carson Kelly has negative eight over his career, and Eric Haas had negative seven. So when it comes to 
encompassing the kind of earned runs saved. Um, it's called adjusted earned runs saved. And you guys can look all of this up if you want to on Fielding Bible's website, uh, fieldingbible.com. They've got some really good stuff on there, not just for catchers, but for all uh, all defense, all defensive numbers. But it's their adjusted earned runs saved. Um, and they say that that's our catcher, our metric for catcher value and staff handling, similar to catcher ERA, but with important adjustments. Um, all of that to say, that's kind of how they quantify how a pitcher's earned run average is affected by the catching position. Um, Carson Kelly has nine earned runs saved as a catcher. When it comes to Jake Rogers, he has negative five. When it comes to Haas, he has six. So it's really hard to decipher, and you can look at any stat in baseball, and I, and I will die by this opinion, but you can look at any stat in baseball, and you can spin it in any kind of a different way. However you want, you can look at a player, and you can pull a stat on them, and it can mean one thing, or it can mean another thing. And that's just how baseball stats work. It's just interesting to see kind of the different ways that uh, these different catchers provide value to a baseball team. Well, and you said it too, I don't think we should overlook it. Um, you kind of mentioned it quickly. He has quite a big sample size too. I think, uh, I don't know how many innings Haas has caught, but I think Carson Kelly's up in like the 1,700 innings caught or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he's 29, so I mean like, you know, you kind of start doing some math. He, he's been around for a minute um, and he, he's caught a lot of innings. And so that sample size is, is quite a bit bigger. We, we kind of know what we have and we have an established catcher on our side. Um, his first game... Not going to lie, looked a little rough to, to me. I, I think specifically, again, this is one instance and one situation, but um, he, he missed a block that he easily should have had, even though they called it a wild pitch off of Fiedo, uh last night in the Cubs game, but it, it really should have been a block that, that he got. So uh, it was going to take him some time. Anytime you make a change to catcher, um, you, you are going to really be, you know, learning with the, the, the situation and, and kind of going with the punches. It's going to take some time for, for him to get to know the staff, get to know signs, God forbid, from, from the Tigers, get to know everything. Cause you're the manager out in the field. And so when you're going to make a, a change here in late August, to, to a new catcher, uh, that's a lot of work for a guy to, to come into a orga- new organization. So, uh, you know, kudos to him, props to him for, for really even, you know, taking this up. And obviously he's not going to turn away some money in an, in an opportunity. But um, if he, you know, every now and again gets the knock and catches a win, I think, I think that goes a long way just because of how new this will be to him. Um, and two, he's going to be directing some young pitching talent. Um, you know, the, these pitchers, they're, they don't have the confidence of a, you know, a Justin Verlander or Clayton Kershaw out there. Um, they, they need to know that if they're going to spike the ball every now and again, that their catcher is going to be uh, there to, to block it. And so we'll see how all that pans out. It looks like he at least fits in. Um, he was uh, his first game in, uh, in Cleveland. He joined the team and he was hovering over AJ the entire game. So that was good to see just kind of picking his brain, seeing what he can get out of everything in, in the game situation. So that's that's exactly what we want to see, someone who's who's going to work hard to, to do what they can for, for the club and, and for the organization. Um, leads us perfectly into this Cubs series. Torque had a good game. Carey had a good game. I don't want to talk about those things right now. Bro, what is up with the umps? Game one. 
game one was completely lost because of the ump. And I have proof. I have proof. Josh, you and I are familiar with a fantastic Twitter account that at this point is just uh, is a bot, but it didn't start out like that a few years ago. Um, but umpire scorecards every day. Next day after the game, a scorecard is populated where out of all the metrics and all the math and everything that you can calculate from the game, they put it into a very, very presentable and very pretty infographic for every single baseball game that was played the night before. Now, it's important to realize in probably the context of this, this specific Twitter account is not there to destroy umpires. It, it was never there. It was never created for that. A lot of people use it for that. It was never, that was never the point of it. It was just to make a point of, hey, this is, this is where some of the runs come from. This is where some of the, and trying to really derive where a lot of the mistakes and then also a lot of the great calls come from in, in the umpire. Um, and this is obviously specifically just the home plate umpire. We're talking about balls and strikes. And so, you know, in an, in an age where we are possibly trending towards a strike call system where in the minors, you know, now we have a challenge system and we have the potential in the majors to have that next year. This is all very, very important. Well, the umpire scorecard for the seven to six loss against the Chicago Cubs on Monday night paints a very bleak picture paints a very bleak picture. Um, Josh, to sum it all up, the ump behind the plate had a 94% accuracy. Now, that may not sound bad. That may not, that's, oh, that's that's okay, that's fine. But as you said in these, in these last stat conversation you had about the catchers, it's all about the situation, and it's all about the moment in the game that matters the most. And these percentage missed calls, these 6% percentage missed calls, led to 2.36 runs in favor of Chicago. Dude, bring on the robo-umps. They got two runs from the ump. What is happening in Detroit? It's exactly like you said, and I wanted to make a point of this as well. We love what they're doing over there at Umpire Scorecards. It's something that's super unique and it's super um, interesting because I believe it was a college student that kind of set it all up to auto-generate these things. And and it's super, super insightful when it comes to good umpiring, bad umpiring, you know, what umpires call which parts of the zone better than others. It's it's supposed to be kind of an infographic on umpires in general, not, like you said, only the bad. Um, So I I wanted to give them a little bit of love just because – I enjoy looking at them every day that they come out. This is a Twitter account. Uh, they have a bunch of different links on there where you can support them. I would uh, go check them out. Go give them a follow. Uh, the handle is Ump Scorecards, U-M-P Scorecards. Uh, just give them a follow. We really do like looking at them. I wanted to make sure of that. Um, but yeah, th- this is, like you said, it's all about the individual calls that are being made in the situation that they're being made in uh, because they even have on this infographic the expected accuracy of this umpire for this game specifically is 92 percent of calls and he made 94 so you look at that number you look at uh, the overall consistency of 92 percent with it when the average is 94 percent you know that's not completely off uh, 
he also has, or they, I don't, I don't know. I think it's a team of people now, but uh, they also have called ball and called strike accuracy. So uh, he had a 96% ball called ball accuracy. Uh, that means that five out of 116 calls called balls were true strikes. So he missed uh, five calls out of 116 on balls that were out of the zone. So again, that's a great percentage on quite a big sample size of balls. The real issue comes in play when we're talking about called strikes. Uh, when it comes to his accuracy, uh, 89% of those calls were correct. Uh, five out of 46 were were mistaken. But like I said at the beginning, like Casey was saying, it's all about the specific situations that that these calls are coming in and you know maybe it was it's you know accidental maybe that's you know it's him struggling with specific you know situations it it can be like a an actual athlete where you know you there's some guys that just struggle in those big moments and you know the crowd's cheering it gets in your head Uh, not I don't know being an umpire is a very very difficult task and I always come at it from this angle. It is the hardest thing to officiate in any sport. I don't care what you have to say about football and basketball and hockey and and, and all of those things. To do the amount of volume on calls, to do the amount of reaction time on these calls, and the variety of different calls that a baseball umpire has to make is staggering. And to get the amount of calls right that they do on a nightly basis is pretty incredible. My point always is, we now have the technology to make their job easier, to make the game better, to to remove these really pointless confrontations on the field about calls. How many, I, I can't, I don't have the stat in front of me, how many players get thrown out of baseball games, how many managers, pitchers, whatever, get ejected from a game because of a called strike or a called ball or or the general zone that a umpire is calling on a given night how many times does that happen when we have the ability to see it and i know more goes into it than just the box that shows up on tv or even this umpire scorecards they never claim to be exactly right they never they never claim to be perfect either but we have this technology that can help us make these calls, help us make it easier on umpires, easier on players, and make the game run more smoothly, which seems to be what Major League Baseball is trying to do anyway. I don't know why we wouldn't already be implementing something, whether it's a challenge system for balls and strikes, whether it's complete automated strike zones, whatever the case may be, I don't understand why that hasn't been pushed for even harder. Because these calls in this specific game it the favor of you know 2.36 runs in favor of the cubs that's the difference in the ball game the tigers lost by one run one run different in that you know favor number that we're looking at changes the outcome of the game changes the l into a w it, it, it's just it's just very very frustrating and to see these young baseball players on the detroit tigers get shafted because of these calls is very, very frustrating. These three most impactful missed calls on this uh, umpire scorecard, Fulmer to Meadows. Meadows, 
first baseball game that he's ever played in the majors. And on a 2-2 count, a ball, which if you guys really should go look this up, this ball is a good, at least balls with outside of the strike zone, is called a strike. And it's strike three on a, on a guy that's in his first major league baseball game who's just trying to get acclimated to the big leagues. That's tough. Top of the ninth, 0-2 count, strike is called a ball, brisky to Talkman. Brisky, trying to get used to a bullpen roll. You know, young player, he's not ever had a, this is his first, well, it's his second year in the bigs. He hasn't even had a full year in the major leagues. And then, the you know, the last one, lighter to Riley Green. And I know Riley Green's probably the most, you know, established of any of these guys we've talked about in these impactful missed calls. But in a 3-1 count, you cannot call this ball a strike. It is completely out of the strike zone. And and those are in huge, huge situations. To the end of the game, you know, Meadows had the bases loaded. Brisky was pitching with a runner on second. Those are situations where you need to be on your game or you need to have the resources able to make those calls count. So many good things said there. Yeah, I, I, I'm 100% with you in all of it. And and you said something super poignant, too, where it's just like, why wouldn't we make their job easier for them? Like, you know, they, much like what you said about athletes, they, they have to be on their game 100% of the time. And no one is. People make mistakes. Humans make mistakes. And you're going to tell me that we're going to leave something as important as really what you're talking about is millions of dollars out in this baseball field now that we're going to sign Otani's for $600, $700 million and then also, you know, at the concessions pay $9 for a drink. This is what we're putting on the baseball field and we're going to leave it up to one guy. That's just like, that's terrible. That's not fair. And, And if we just acknowledge that we have the tech we have the ability i don't hate the challenge system i really don't i'm someone coming from this and and honestly a year ago you would have asked me and we might even have this conversation in the pod i've kind of done a complete 180 on all this i i have been very very slow to believe in in the whole you know taking the human element out of the game but for every call that goes in our way 10 calls go exact opposite way and and it's games like last night that just really are eye-opening and it's like there's no reason for it to be like this. I mean, like, there was a great article a couple years ago. Uh, I think it was from The Athletic um, where they, they were just doing a, a deep dive into a umpire's role in, in an umpire's life on, like, a personal level. These guys can't even have Twitter accounts because they're they're so disgraced and they're, and they're destroyed on the field. And if they did, they would be, you know, just destroyed on social media like they're like these people can't have lives and it's like if we have the tech if we can see that the k zone or in this case the stat cast 3d you know why don't we give that to the umps and and give them the tools to be successful there shouldn't even be really a need for an ump scorecard yeah it's cool yeah it's a novelty and yeah other sports have this situation where you know officiators have to make gut calls in very, very, very um, important moments in, in major league and, and professional levels. But there's already that in baseball, minus the strike zone. You know, we have the calls on the bases. We have everything else that is is encompassing in a baseball game. Then to add this level where, oh yeah, for 200 pitches, you have to be on the ball every single time. It's silly. It's, it's archaic, honestly. And now that we're in a place where, you know, MLB can make some some 
really important changes that, you know, some people agree with, some people disagree with, but they can do them unilaterally um, because of the new CBA. This is a chance to just to take it and see how it goes. There's going to be issues like there were with the pitch clock and that worked out just fine. Um, and there's there's going to be things that they have to iron out, and they've already done a really good job of that in in uh, in AAA. And so I think it starts slow. I do. I think it starts with that challenge system. But then I, I want to be surprised if in five years we are running on a full uh, full challenge system. Now I will say too, it's never going to look like just the hitter and the catcher behind home plate. That's never going to happen. There will always be a human for at least now until it's literally a robot, but who knows, but there will always be a human that is getting at least in the earpiece, a call to him that he's then delivering it. That's not going to go away. It's not going to make baseball look like this really cartoonish thing. It's always going to be a human back there. It's going to look right. It's just going to give these humans the tools that they need to be successful. If I was an ump, I would hate my life. There'd be no reason for me to ever want to do that and bring that kind of hatred upon my life. I mean, I'm sure Angel Hernandez is a great guy. I'm sure he is. I'm sure we we beat up on him all the time because he's not very good at his job. Take it away. Just just take all that away and give him a chance to, to you know, at least redeem himself in, in these kind of situations. So I'm all for it. I'm 100% for it. I think as long as the call gets right, which is what was important with the challenge system um, that we implemented, you know, at this point, almost four or five years ago, uh, that took a long time to come around. It's changed baseball. It's done it in the right way and for good. And technology can can only help. And shying away from it is, is very silly. But... Um, all that to say, tough game last night for the Tigers, right? As you said, probably should have won because exactly of, of really disappointing things out of our control. But Torque had a great game. He was four for five. He does not stop hitting right now. Um, his average is almost in the 240s, minus a, a little bit of a lackluster game tonight. Carey just keeps on being Carey. So glad they did not trade him. Um, and, and really put a, put a damper on, on the future of, of the core and the nucleus that we're building. And we can finally say it, Parker Meadows is a Detroit Tiger. He contributed, dude, so exciting. Um, he contributed with a single the last night. He had a chance to even tie the game, which is what I was going to say. Um, he, he came up in a, in a clutch clutch uh, at bat but he did swing at the first pitch and you know he gave it a ride he gave it a little bit of a ride but it was just a, it was just a pop out um but he he did at least contribute with a single got the first major league hit out of the way and then tonight first at bat lefty lefty off of drew smiley first pitch he saw single into right field it's exactly what you want to see i mean like that that you can't script it any better for a lefty on lefty matchup and this kid that has not seen any major league pitching. It's exactly how you want to to start your career. And then later in the game, he got a triple because he's a gazelle and he can run. Uh, what have you seen so far out of Parker? Uh, it's been super interesting. First of all, I had no idea how tall he was. He was, uh, I think he was big congratulating kid. Big kid. Green in the dugout for something. And like, I think he's a good two or three inches taller than Riley. And Riley is pretty tall. Um, it was it, it's so fun to watch and on multiple fronts just first of all from the organization's perspective finally we get a position player a top prospect position player that we're calling up to the majors we've been really waiting on this oh man for for a while now 
uh, ever since probably Carrie came up last year. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it's been fun to watch. He, his speed is going to play up. It really appears to be. He ran down a fly ball in the gap that I definitely didn't think that somebody was going to get to. It's going to now raise some very interesting questions about, you know, how the Tigers move forward in the outfield. Who's playing where? Who's going to be playing when? Is there going to be any sort of balancing with the amount of lefties we have now with Green, Carpenter, Meadows, Badu? Uh, yeah, like all of those. Even McKinstry, who is a lefty and can play the outfield, like it's going to raise some questions. But I mean, McKinstry, I feel like is hitting well enough against righties and lefties, and you know, Meadows clearly showed tonight that he can get it done against lefties as well. Um, his triple tonight was so much fun to watch. Another guy that is going to bring some energy and some excitement into this lineup that is super, super good for these young players to experience. And I think he's going to fit in pretty well. Full-time center fielder. Is he taking Riley's spot? First game, they put him in center field and they move Riley over to right. Are they making a statement for, for Riley's future? Well, I mean, Riley even pinch hit tonight and went back out into the field mm-hmm. and played left scheduled day so. off. Yep. Yeah. I, I think they're, they're making a statement with Riley. I, I, I know that they're super excited that they can have, uh, because Scott said it in, in his press conference, but they're super excited that they can have three center fielders in all of the positions. I definitely think this is a move to put some bubble wrap around Riley. Uh, For they, sure. they are, clearly concerned uh, about about keeping him for the long term and this is just stage one of of a long process we don't have a dh on our hands riley is fantastic in the field we see what he can do but this is just to protect him just a little bit and if parker can do what he did tonight and honestly i think the speed has really surprised us because what you mentioned he's such a big guy that I, I think they clocked him at like 29.9 uh, feet per second in in in, uh, in the stride from from first to third when he was going home or whatever, um, or maybe he was on the triple one of, one of the two. I think he was um, on the triple. But surprising to say the least that he could have elite speed at that kind of body frame, and then two to to cover center field and and make a diving catch. If he can do that, I'm totally okay with them moving Riley over. It was bound to happen. I feel a little bit more comfortable with Riley not having to to run as much, to have to cover as much ground, and and not also possibly have to make as many diving catches as he does. Uh, we need Riley for his bat, and so it's it's quite okay. Um, as long as you're not sacrificing anything, I think you can make up for it. And with Parker, it doesn't seem like we are sacrificing a whole lot. And then it's concerning a little bit with the lefty thing that you brought up. Um, I am a little worried about this organizational depth with how many lefties there are. Um, not to mention we just drafted three more at the top level of our draft. And so I think as a, on a depth level, we have a little bit of a mismatch with a lot of things but majority of major league pitching is right-handed and so you know you can kind of make up for that um, and make an excuse for that but we know that a balanced lineup is is really important at the major league level so we'll see what they do about that but overall it's going to be fun to to watch parker uh patrol center for at least the rest of the you know this year and, and see how much uh, progress he can make um i think scott said something interesting and, and not even necessarily relating to 
um, Parker's call up because we were all we were all thinking that this was going to be the the time to do it, but then also too he was going to be the guy because he's on the forty man. But he he said something interesting about you know why it was um, time for Parker and maybe not time for some other guys. Um, he he was talking in reference to specifically Colt Keith and, and Justin Malloy, who we've petitioned for to to be called up for for a minute here, and it seems like they were always confident in Parker's his defense and his running ability. They they were never worried about that. They just were unsure of the bat. And so he worked really hard for the last two months. Apparently he got really, really close with his pitching or his hitting coach rather and worked really, really hard at his plate approach and controlling the strike zone, i.e. Scott Harris. With the other guys, it's interesting that they put a lot of a lot of emphasis on the defense and the running and the small ball kind of situational stuff that a lot of people don't think of as flashy in the major leagues, but we all know that are important in the major leagues. And so with Colt Keith and Justin Henry Malloy, Scott said, we want to see a little bit more one versatility, but then also two finding a position for them that they can actually stay and, and actually make some important plays for us. Uh, their defense is just a tick below where we want to see it. Their running is just a tick below where we want to see it. We know their bats can play. We understand that, but we're not going to bring up players that have a chance to come up and have some struggles and then be sent right back down. Um, and you know, you can agree with that. You can disagree with that, but it definitely seems like they're willing to, to wait things out and have some patience with these kids, which, you know, you can look at as being, uh, not very, um, long-term focused or, or foresighted, but at the same time, maybe it is exactly that. Because if you call up these guys, they get some really bad at bats, some lack of confidence going, what does that do for them? You know, like what what is that what does that really accomplish? And so with Parker, that shows that he's really ready. These guys in the Tigers brass are not gonna bring up someone who are is just kind of ready. And it's kind of showed these last two games, dude. I mean, like he he's looked good at the plate. He's had a couple, there's definitely a swing and miss there. There's definitely some strikeout potential in there. Um, that will come. But he's taken a walk, gotten a couple really important singles. That lefty on lefty is so impressive. It's even more impressive, I would say, than the triple. Uh, the triple is just luck, and, and it you know easily could be a double anywhere else. But it, it's good to see that he's making some really good strides for this team. Um, I think with um, Scott and, and really the organization as a whole, they have some decisions to make going forward with this outfield specifically. I know we kind of touched on the lefty-lefty, but the entire outfield is lefty. So I'm wondering what they do, um, and, and even their bench players lefty. Um, so I'm wondering what they do in the offseason to, to kind of offset that. I would still like to see like one left-handed veteran bat, or sorry, right-handed veteran bat that we can bring on that, that really balances out that lineup. But it's good to see Parker. I know you've been calling for him uh, for quite a while to, to make his appearance, um, but it, it's good to see him finally come. Now, with that, do you think that uh, September 1 brings up any other potential kids that we could get excited about? Um, from, from what Scott Harris is saying, I'm going to probably temper some expectations on seeing some more guys come up. Um, it's... It's going to be, I think, difficult enough with the guys that we have on this team because then you bring up the fact that you have to send somebody down. Um, somebody that 
you know, on the hitting side especially, I think probably the only one that has any kind of a chance would be uh, Justin Henry Malloy, uh, just because of the positions that he can play and the the guys that are are in the major leagues that you could send down. I mean, everybody's kind of doing okay right now in the majors. There's not really a reason to, to send anybody down. So I think that's just the main the main beef with any of the remaining moves obviously they're going to have to expand uh, their roster by two but i really think it's going to end up being some pitching depth for the stretch run especially with guys like fiedo guys like olsen uh e- even guys like schoolbull if you've got to make a room for maybe you know knock on wood maybe a, a casey mize start right at the end of this year you're going to have to have some room for some pitchers as a, that are going to give you some flexibility. I could see them using uh, using that roster uh, expansion for that. Oh, do not get me excited about a Casey Mize start. Don't even start doing that to me. Don't, don't, don't do that. He, I think he is going to start facing hitters, though. That, that is a big step for him. Um, real quick, the, uh, the move for, for Meadows coming up was Maton. Nick Maton going down again. Um, need to see some better at bats from him. He he looked a lot better. I will say he looked a lot better this time around. It's just, and I think they cited it when they set him down. He just needs more at bats. Like he's not getting it here. And I know it's a demotion. And I know it sucks, and it gets in the player's head. But AJ Hinch loves mixing and matching so much. And Veerling has, as I definitely did not realize, and definitely he made some strides over the last week. Has been playing some great third base. And so when you have that opportunity to, to switch out a, an outfielder for an infielder, um, to, to, or I guess in this case an infielder for an outfielder, um, to get some better at-bats in Parker Meadows, that, that is the move. Um, so, you know, again, we need to see some more, some more strides made from, from Maton, but maybe his time will come. He's still young. He still has time. Um, you kind of alluded to it though, and it's, it's kind of great. You bring it up with the, with the September call-ups and the possible expansion. The Tigers have a decision to make here pretty soon. Uh, Turnbull, Spencer Turnbull just made his final rehab start for the Toledo Mud Hens. And to say the least, it has not gone very well. Can you hit me with some Toledo Mud Hens, Spencer Turnbull stats for me, buddy? Yeah, he's pitched in five games, 17.2 innings pitched, 18 strikeouts, 1.7 or 1.47 whip, and a 6.62 ERA. Woof. Woof. Not the greatest. Do we see him in the old English D the rest of this year? Uh, this could be a hot take. Maybe not. I don't know for sure. But somebody, and you know, Scott Harris kind of mentioned him a little bit that they might give a look. I, I would see them giving uh, Sawyer Gitson Long a look before they give Spencer Turnbull a look. Whoa, didn't he just get called up to Toledo? Dang, that'd be kind of yeah, just his. Uh, what his about the Moreno last... kid? The Moreno kid, too. That, too. That, too. Uh, Moreno. Gibson Long's last start was uh, six and a third, no runs, no walks, 12 Ks. Sheesh. In triple A. So. Dang. I feel like that's going to be something. And, you know, we got him. Who do we get him for? We got him for Fulmer? Mm, that, yeah, that's exactly right. Yep, it was Fulmer. From from uh, Twins? Oh, dude, by the way, uh, speaking of old friendler, it was fun to beat up on. I mean, we love you, Fulmer. It great to see you. Fun beating up on him in, in game one when we tied it up. 
Didn't end up working out for us, but it was fun to beat up on him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, getting getting him for a reliever, I mean, he's not at the top of our prospect list. I wouldn't hate kind of throwing him in here at the end of the year just to kind of see what he's got. It could end up being another one of these, you know, fringe guys that can make an impact, a guy like Brisky. Uh, or even a guy like Fiedo that that kind kind of comes out of nowhere and kind of helps the team a little bit. But the hot take part of it is, I would much rather see Sora Gibson Long or even that Moreno guy rather than Spencer Turnbull at this point. He's not even shown it at AAA. I say let him pitch down to AAA for another you know month or so here till the end of the AAA season. Give him the off season, clear his head kind of get back into it. He's still recovering from Tommy John surgery. They always say that second year is when you start feeling your best. Get him back in spring training, kind of have a little reset. That would be my opinion on the Turnbull situation. Such a fall from grace. And, and we talked about it ad nauseum at, at this point, and we all know the drama that happened to, to get him down to Toledo and, and <laughs> at this point and on the on the injured list at this point, but now he's trying to make his comeback. He's trying to to do what he can. And I don't know what the issue is. I haven't seen any of his starts. I would assume it's a lot of control issues because that's always his thing. I would love for them to figure out a way to keep him in the organization for next year. Cause you said it right. That that second year after Tommy John, you really feel like, what do we have? You know, like what, what is there anything left in this? And, Report after report after report from pitchers that have had Tommy John surgery, they say it's not until that second year, um, that second full year, until you can really feel the ball again. You can really put a lot of power behind it. You feel like you get your velo back. And so I think that he can be a number two, number three starter. It's just the bad blood that there is right now, the unfortunate situation that is just plagued by a lot of these kind of fringe players with the Tigers and their organization and maybe some poor handling of the of the players at, at, at uh, certain uh, situations. They should find a way to at least give him a chance to cover over and atone for all of that. And so hopefully he accepts an assignment. I think he's at this point where he kind of has that five-year rule um, or what is it six? I forget what it is, whatever. He has enough major league time. I think that he can like decline an assignment to AAA. Um, if I'm not mistaken, but I, I could be wrong in that, but, but at this point they, they, they are going to be hard pressed to, to bring him up. And so if, if, as long as he accepts his assignment and he does everything that, you know, they want him to do, he should still come back and they should give him every chance in spring training to, to, at least give him give him a shot to make the rotation. Um, not this year, though. Not not this year. We we are at a situation where it's just it's too far gone. It's not time for him. He's struggled in Toledo. There's no reason why he would come back and and really pitch meaningful innings for a team that is trying to save some face towards towards the end of the year. And we're chasing a second place spot. I would love to be second in the Central in a very crappy Central, like you mentioned. But I'd like to be second. And uh, I don't think Spencer Turnbull is ready to help us there yet. But hopefully next year, I still think there's a lot of potential in that arm. And, you know, if if there's anything left in it, I'd like to it to be with the Tigers. Um, with that, we have some games to play this week, buddy. We have one more game. We are currently split the series in, in, uh, in Detroit against the Cubs. 
one more game to, to see if we can win the series. If they win this series, man, that's exciting. That's a lot of good baseball post-All-Star break. Um, you know, it, it may not always um, turn out in the win-loss column, but it's been a really fun second half. And, and now leading in September, our last month of baseball games, um, you know, we've said it before that we still have a really weak schedule ahead, more games against the Central Central coming up. It's fun to, to see some good baseball. And the offense is clicking. Do we win tomorrow to take the series against the Cubs? I say we do. Uh, I think. Oh, I like it. I like it. Scoobles is on the hill. I think it gives us a good chance. I think he's kind of had a little bit of an up and down last three, four starts uh, with a little bit of, you know, getting hit around a little bit here and there and then kind of having his moments. Um, I think we've got a good shot. This this Cubs team is kind of, you know, treading water right now. It seems like they're also dealing with a little bit of injury issues. Um, and the Tigers are at home. So hopefully they can come out with a series win. And that will be, you know, we, we haven't lost a series in over a week, almost two weeks now. So Yeah, if you don't count that split team. for Minnesota. Yeah, for sure. Haven't lost in you know, one or two different things. <laughs> right. No, I stay positive <laughs> wherever we can. <laughs> that's that's fair. And then, uh, yeah, Houston comes to town after after this Cubs series. I think we're dodging Verlander. I think mm-hmm. we're dodging Verlander. He's pitching tonight, so it, it, as best as I can estimate, we're we're gonna dodge him, um, unless he maybe pitches Sunday. But we'll see. Uh, that series could be a little ugly. the The Astros are really good now. We could see some some maybe at this point tired Tigers. Uh, we do have a day off, thankfully, but we've played a lot of games in a lot of in a short period of time here. But it's nice to be back home. I think we're on a ten game homestand or something crazy like that. So um I, I would say that Houston series would probably take one of those games. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree with you there. Uh the Astros are five and five in their last ten. Uh but they're 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 fighting for for a division in the West and they are clearly the better baseball team and they can they can score runs in bunches that is for sure so yeah i'd say i'd say winning one would be a w for the tigers in this in this scenario dude i just can't wait to play the yankees yeah i was, I I was just looking at that series that. too it, it's gonna be it, they're beaten up they're they're struggling oh dude that's what I, okay two things real, real quick i mentioned meant to mention two things did you see that julio rodriguez thing the the he the is, stretch of games where yeah his on? four games where he had seventeen hits and then but the most crazy part about that yeah that's that's amazing great for you J Rod really exciting the Yankees entire lineup had in those four games seventeen hits as well they are historically bad like is Aaron Boone gonna get fired this year is that is that what we're gonna see I mean. Should he be? I think probably at this point. I mean, he has I, the no roster to, to to perform well and to play well, and he just hasn't. And he, he hasn't done anything with all of that payroll. One of the best players in the world in Aaron Judge, you know, you go out and you get pitching, and I understand there's been injury issues this year. Yeah. but that's what I was going to say. I was like, well, before they the all come years. killing us, the Judge has been hurt for, what, like half the year, but continue. You're right. He he hasn't performed well in in past years either, so. Boone, you're it, saying, there, Boone. Yes, yeah, his, his teams haven't performed well in past years. So like, cumulatively, like, yeah, they're having their worst year of all time. But 
you know, he's also been pretty underwhelming before and they haven't fired him. So I think I'm going to be on the, I'll believe it when I see it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, on him getting fired. Uh, I think there's some other coaches that I could see getting fired before him, but. And with our luck, they'll come into Comerica and be the New York mashers that we know they are historically. Uh, no, the other thing I was going to say too, you were talking about uh, umpire confrontations when we were talking about RoboUmp. Um, <laughs> the uh, the ump in the Houston and uh, Boston series right now, uh, the dude behind the plate, Verlander's actually pitching that game, or he was pitching at this point. I don't know, done by now. But um, he called out, it was a rough zone all around, but it wasn't like anything egregious. But he, instead of throwing out the coach, instead of throwing out anyone like Alex Cora first, he went all the way to the end of the dugout. And, and like, it, it wasn't walking there, but he like singled Verdugo who was all the way on I the other side that. of the dugout and he, he, he threw him out. He was out of the game. And the it's funniest like, part about that whole thing is that he called him out by name. He said, Alex, you're done. Yeah. Oh yeah. And oh, that's right. Cora, yeah. Cora didn't know whether he was talking to Alex Cora or Alex Verdugo. And it, it was just, the confusion was crazy. Oh my god! See, so yeah, it's just—it's unneeded. All this is unneeded. If we had RoboOMS, if we had challenge system, maybe none of this would, or all this would change. Who knows? But my gosh, that was hilarious. And to ruin a, a team's lineup—that's just like, what? Why do you have that power? What do you? What are you doing? He probably was bad mouthing you. Again, there's no reason for it. We don't need to be in this situation. Everyone can be happy in the end. But I don't know. We'll see. Josh, where can the kids find us? We are on all of your socials at Old English D Pod. Um, all of our links will be in the description to this podcast, including um, scorecards. They'll be down there as well uh, since we shouted them out in the podcast. Please give us a follow on our social media. Let us know you listen to the show if you've gotten this far. Uh, give us a review. Give us a rating. Give us a follow. We appreciate all of that from you guys. Uh, we really do enjoy making these pods. We'd really try our best to make it work with the schedule. Um, we appreciate everybody with the grace that has been given recently with some of the pods that have been delayed. So we do appreciate that guys. Absolutely. Josh, thank you so much for joining me guys. Thank you so much for listening. And as always go Tigers. Tigers.